Good morning. We welcome everyone here today, along with those that are listening on the radio this morning and watching on Facebook Live. Uh, what a beautiful Sunday morning here in June. We'll start our service with Prelude and Sharon. Good morning and welcome again. Before we start our worship this morning, I have just a few announcements. The Junior and Senior High Bible Yard Backyard Bible Study uh, today is at Jack and Shirley, Sarah Shulkey's home at 7 o'clock. The new uh, Daily Bread booklets have arrived. They're on the white tables at the entrances with the bulletins. Pastor Joel's on vacation today. As always, we are happy to have our youth pastor, Tori, preach uh, the message for us. Thank you, Tori. And the roses on the altar today are in honor of Roger and Ruby Settledge, who will celebrate 71 years on June 19th, and Larry and Becky Longworth, who will celebrate 56 years on June 20th. So congratulations to them two couples. And for now, now to start our worship, I would ask that those that can please rise and call and join me in the call to worship. call to worship today comes from Psalm 51, verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved kindness, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness, in your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence, or take your soul spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation, and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please remain standing song, Amazing Grace.
to the front today for children's chat, although I think we want the children to stay in the pews. Yes, she's my assistant today. Okay. <laughs> All right, Reagan, I need you to hold those for me. Mm-hmm. What's in there? Eggs. Eggs. How do those eggs look to you? A little funky. A little funky? Why are they funky? Do you know why that one looks like that? Because I needed a brown egg. I didn't have a brown egg, so I used a marker and I colored it brown. (laughs) That's what we teachers do. We improvise sometimes. So, those eggs look the same size? Yeah? That one might be just a smidgen smaller? Okay. Now, they look different though, right? One's brown, one's white? All right, now I have a question for you. What do we do with these eggs usually? We can bake with them. Yep, we can. Now, 
is there something different about the brown egg than the white egg other than the color? No? No? Where does brown egg come from? Not that brown egg. That brown egg was not really brown. But where, where do brown eggs come from? Chickens? Brown chickens? Sometimes. White eggs typically come from white chickens. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to take a look at the inside of this egg. Are you ready? All right. Whoops. Look. Look at the inside of that egg. Does it look like a normal egg? Yep. Well, it's because the yolk broke, because I got a little too excited in my... Now look at that one. That one looks better. Okay, now, if we broke this one and it looked like that one, could you tell the difference which one was brown and which one was white? Okay, so I have a question. When we look at people, do we all look the same? No, we aren't. Some of us have brown hair and brown eyes. Some people have blonde hair and blue eyes. Some people have red hair and green eyes. We're different on the outside, but what about on the inside? Are we all the same? We are. We're all the same. God made us all the same. Simon Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, and he was a Jew, and he believed that God sent Jesus only to the Jews. And God gave Peter a vision, and he showed him that he created all people, that he loved them all the same. And after God showed him that, Peter said, I now realize that God does not show partiality. He accepts people from every nation who fear him and do what is right. God also showed Peter that he must tell the good news that Jesus is the Lord of all and that everyone who believes in him will be forgiven of their sins. So does God just love brown-haired, brown-eyed girls? No. Does God love everybody? Just the same, no matter what the outside looks like, right? Because God loves all of us no matter what we look like. And God wants us all to love him so that we can all be together in the end. Now, there's a song that we used to sing in preschool. It was called Jesus Loves the Little Children. We still sing that in you still sing that in Sunday school? Okay. It goes, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. That's right. And that's what we need to remember. We need to remember today that everyone is precious in God's sight, no matter what they look like on the outside. Are we ready to pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for children and their ability to see past the outside and see the inside and the good of what is inside a person. Please be with all be with all of us in our country as we go forward and keep us all healthy and safe. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. Now I'd ask everyone that could to please stand and we'll sing our next praise song, Over the Blood.
be seated. This morning's offering goes to the gospel tent. Um, Just an update, there's no official announcement that has been made by the Auglaise County Fair. Um, So we're going to continue with our offering for them today. And if it's not possible for them to have the gospel tent this year, our gifts will go towards next year, and it'll be a great start um, for the event for 2021. And so if you'd like to give to the gospel tent, the deacons will be at the door on your way out. Um, or you can also take advantage of online giving or by mailing your gift to the church office. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you for the chance to gather and to worship We thank you for the opportunity to give towards the gospel tent. We thank you for that ministry that impacts so many lives. And we ask that the money given to them would go to your glory, Lord. Lord, we pray for those who are sick and are hurting or in need of a bit of encouragement this morning. We ask that you would be with them, that you would work in their hearts. And we, we also pray for our men and women that are serving our country as well. We ask that you would be with them, keep them safe, and be with their families as they serve. Lord, we pray for our country. We ask that you would be with all, everyone, Lord, that you would be with our leaders, that you would help guide them in, ma- in making decisions, Lord, help them to make good, wise decisions. Lord, we also pray for guidance on all of our lives. Help us to grow in our relationship with you and to keep you first in all that we do. We pray all of these things in the name of your Son, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. And the, the scripture passage is in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well, in the mar- as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Oropagus, where they, told, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, People of Athens, I see in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by, by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Oropagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for the chance to come before you and to talk about your word, Lord. God, I pray that as we um, talk about idols that we have in our life, that you would um, be working in our hearts and our minds, Lord, that you would um, help us to focus in on you, focus in on your word. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through me and that you would be big and I would be little. We love you and we thank you for this time. Amen. So I think we can all agree with each other that 2020 has been a very weird and frustrating and hard year for many of us. I know for me, it's been a very weird start to the summer months. Typically, spring and summer, the summer months are always really busy for me. I usually hit the ground running with Wonderful Wednesdays, and I don't usually stop until youth group and Sunday school have started back up in the fall. And even though the summer months are busy, I secretly love it. I kind of love to be busy. I love planning and running events like VBS, and I love doing things with our students over the summer. And I kind of like having things on my calendar to look forward to. You know, a few weeks into the shutdown, I pulled out my calendar. I hadn't used it in a little while. And I started going through the different months. And as I was going through them, I just, start, I just took a red pen to everything that I knew would not be happening. And it made me really mad and really frustrated because everything I love about the summer months and the busyness that comes with it was canceled because of the pandemic. And so, frustrated and annoyed, I decided to go down to Connie's office and throw myself a little pity party. And I walked down there and I told her how much I missed being busy, how much I missed seeing our students on a weekly basis, how much I missed running around like crazy to get everything ready for VBS. And really, I was just, I was missing being busy all the time. And so after I threw myself the pity party, I walked back to my office, and the Lord kind of called me out on the rug. And a small voice in the back of my head that I knew was not me said, Tori, you need to repent. You have made an idol out of your calendar in your busy schedule. And I can tell you I did not want to hear that correction from the Lord. But it was true. All of the things that I do in the busy seasons of ministry are good, right? VBS is good. Youth ministry things are good. But even during the good, busy seasons of ministry... I know that I put my calendar and my to-do list and my schedule and all the events before my relationship with God. And even though I'm still doing good things for God and working for him, I allow myself to become so busy and so distracted that I forget to put him in my life, to put our relationship first. And, you know, before the pandemic hit, I didn't realize how much I loved to be busy, how much I loved having things on my calendar. And I didn't realize how often I found my worth and my value in the things that I was doing instead of my relationship with God. And I truly believe that God used the pandemic in my life to kind of give me a bit of a wake-up call, um, to help me realize that I had made an idol out of my busyness. You know, I don't know what the pandemic did for you, um, but I believe that we've all had different moments in our life that have served as wake-up calls. Some of us have faced physical wake-up calls like health scares. Maybe a routine checkup with your doctor or some blood work revealed an underlying issue that needed to be addressed, and and you had to make some lifestyle changes for your health. Many of us have faced the loss of a job, loss of friendships, or even the loss of a loved one. And often when we lose something or someone we hold dear, it forces us to reevaluate our perspective and our priorities in life. You know, sometimes God uses scripture and sermons and different people in our life to give us a bit of a wake-up call. And usually he uses those things to lovingly point out the areas that we might need a little bit of work on. You know, wake-up calls are never easy, but they're good for us. And as Christ followers, sometimes God needs to give us a good old-fashioned wake-up call to, to help us to realize the things that we have put in front of our relationship with him. And so today, we are going to talk about an area in our life that we all struggle with, and that's with idols. If we're honest with ourselves, we all have idols in our lives, myself included. An idol is anything that we want more than God, anything we rely on more than God, and anything we look to for greater fulfillment than God. 
Idolatry is nothing new. It's something that all humans have struggled with since the beginning of time. Idolatry started in the garden with Adam and Eve, and throughout Scripture we can see God's people bowing down to different things and putting those things before God. And also throughout Scripture we can see God using different people to give his people a little wake-up call to the idols that they are serving. And one of my favorite examples of this comes from Acts 17 that we just read together. So in Acts 17, Paul arrives in Athens after being driven out of Thessalonica and Berea. The city of Athens is filled with lots of culture, beautiful art, and many great thinkers. And so Paul begins to explore the city, and as he's walking around, he notices that the city of Athens is filled with idols. The Athenians had idols for everything. They had a god for fertility, they had a god for weather, a god for you know, farming, all of those things. Those were the idols that they were serving. And the idols were everywhere and on every corner. And they even had an idol for an unknown god just to make sure that they covered their bases. And so as Paul's walking around the city, he's filled with a combination of anger and grief. He was angry that the entire city had given itself over to idolatry, but he was also sad because he realized that the people of Athens clearly had a need for God that they were trying to meet through these worthless idols. And so Paul started preaching and teaching. He went to the marketplace and he went to the synagogue and he started talking to anybody who would listen about his message about Jesus and the resurrection. And his message spread quickly and eventually gained enough attention that he was invited to a meeting of the Areopagus, which was the main administrative body and council of Athens. And so Paul knew that God had opened this door for him to have this meeting. And so he decided that it was time to give the Athenians a little bit of a wake-up call to the idols that they were tirelessly serving. And so in his speech, the Areopagus, Paul gives them two reasons to why their idols do not stand up to the one true God. So the first reason he gives against their idols is that the one true God is the creator and giver of life. And Paul says in verses 24 and 25, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So the idols that the Athenians were worshiping were created. They were created by human hands. They constantly had to be served through worthless offerings and sacrifices in hopes that maybe, just maybe, they might get something in return. But the one true God is different. He is the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And Paul tells the Athenians that, the God is not the, that God is not the creation of man, but the creator of man. And he cannot be adequately represented by human shrines, and he does not need to be served by mankind. He doesn't need worthless sacrifices or offerings because there's nothing that anyone can give him that he doesn't already have. But instead... God is different because he continually gives himself to his people. Not because he has to, but because of his great love for his children. And so that was the first reason that Paul gave to the Athenians to show that God is so wholly other than the idols that they serve. And the second argument that Paul uses in his wake-up call is that the one true God is actively involved in the lives of his people, unlike the idols. And so in verses 26 through 29, he says, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. You see, the Athenians were deeply religious people, and the number of idols that they had throughout their city reflected that. And the idols that they worshipped really kept them from searching for, kept them searching for life and meaning and purpose that only God was meant to fill. And so Paul tells the Athenians this, that he says, you know, God was meant to be found by men. He created humanity with a thirst to seek and find him. 
And when they do that, they'll figure out that he is not far away like their idols, that he's close. They don't have to grope around and mindlessly try to follow these things in hopes that they might feel close to God. All they have to do is reach out and draw near to him, and he will draw near to them. And so Paul's wake-up call to the, to the Athenians really reveals the futility of the idols that they worship. And he offers them the chance to leave behind their idols and to turn to the one true God, the giver of life that is actively involved in his creation. You know, at, at our core, we're all religious people. We all worship something, whether it's the one true God or the idols that we have in our life. And it's easy to talk about idols that we see in Scripture and to think that idolatry was an issue in the Old Testament or that it was a pagan issue, that we don't have shrines or statues that we bow down to today. But really, it's a human issue. Our world and the world that the Athenians lived in, I don't think are much different And I bet if Paul visited our country today, he would find a lot of people that tirelessly serve endless amounts of idols. We have just as many idols that the Athenians did, but instead of being on every street corner, they live in our daily lives. And sometimes we need a bit of a wake-up call to see the idols that we have in our lives. And we could spend all morning going through different idols that we build up, but I believe that there's two idols that kind of encompass a lot of different things. And so those, that's the idol of self and the idol of entertainment. You know, we live in a culture that glamorizes the self. I know I can't turn on the TV and watch any show without seeing a get-ripped-quick fix or a fix-the-wrinkles-on-your-face cream. Um, and we all emphasize personal rights and personal decision above all else. We idolize the self. And we, op- we often operate under the guise of, if it feels good to you, do it. And it's so easy to buy into that because it's all around us. But the idol of self is centered on what I want, what I think, and what I feel. And this idol has been alive since the fall of mankind when Adam and Eve put themselves above God and ate from the, fruit, uh, ate from the tree. Genesis 3.6 shows the idol of self creeping into Eve's life when Satan is tempting her in the garden. And it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and she ate it. The fruit looked good. Eve wanted the fruit because she believed it would taste good. And she also believed that it would give her something that she thought she was lacking. And so right there, the idol of self is elevated above what God wants and what he desires and what he thinks. You know, I've got to be honest with you. The idol of self is one that I find myself serving a lot more than I care to admit. I know that I can be a pretty selfish person, and there are so many days that I put my wants, my needs, and my desires above what God wants and what he desires for me. And sometimes I don't even realize I'm doing it until someone like my husband lovingly points out that I might be being a little bit selfish. And it's so, but it's so easy to fall in the trap of serving ourselves. But at the end of the day, I know that my wants, my needs, and my feelings don't always line up with what God wants and what he desires. And I know that my selfishness can honestly keep me from growing in my relationship with him. You know, I think we've all worshipped at the altar of self a time or two. You know, we must constantly seek and work to dislodge the idol of self from our hearts in order to follow Christ. Christ talks about this in Matthew 16 when he's telling the disciples what it looks like to be his follower. He tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would lose his life will save it, but whoever whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, to get rid of the idol of self, we have to be willing to die to self. And not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean physical death, although that is, it can happen when we follow Christ. But Christ here is talking about dying to our wants, our needs, our desires, and submitting those to Christ. But not only submitting them to, the, to him, but actively getting rid, rid of those desires when they don't line up with the things God wants for us. The idol of self is hard to get rid of, and it's really easy for us just to put elevate our needs and our wants above what God desires for us. 
The second idol that we all serve at different times in our life is the idol of entertainment. We love our entertainment. We love our devices. We love sports, TV, Netflix, social media, hobbies, and even our money. And entertainment and the things that we do for fun and enjoyment are not bad. They can add richness and enjoyment to our lives, especially when we get to share them with others. But we all know that too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. And the problem with the idol of entertainment is that it's a cruel master that seeks to distract us, to steal our joy, and to ultimately lead us away from Christ. You know, there's been quite a few times in the last three years where I've had to swallow my pride and admit that my husband is right. And because I like to think that I can successfully divide my time and energy between entertainment and my responsibilities. I like to think that I can successfully balance my job, my family, my friends, fun, and my faith all at the same time without one of them falling to the ground. And in those moments when I'm trying to have it all and do it all, usually Jake will step in and he'll say, Tori, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You've got to decide where you're going to, what's most important in life and where you're going to spend your time. And I really, I can't stand it when he says that because I know that he's right. And not only is he right, but he's also pointing me to the truth of scripture by reminding me that I can't serve multiple things in my life. And Jesus talks about this when he's speaking about money in Matthew 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says that serving two masters is impossible. And we deceive ourselves when we think that we can serve the God of entertainment and the one true God at the same time. When we make entertainment an idol in our life, we'll begin to resent whatever draws us away from that, including Christ. And at some point, we'll have to decide which one wins and which one loses. And if we serve the God of entertainment, Christ will always lose. So if you're wondering if you've made an idol out of entertainment, go home today and look at your calendar and your bank account. What things take up most of your free time? What do you put your money towards on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis? Our calendars and our wallets often reveal what we value and prioritize in our lives. And if it's not Christ, and it's not your relationship with him, then something's got to change, because you cannot serve entertainment and God at the same time. You know, when God gave the command to the Israelites that you shall have no other gods before me in Exodus 20, he meant it. Not because he's some power-hungry dictator that wants to rule our lives and make us miserable, but because he's our creator. We belong to him. He is the giver of life, and he knows how pointless it is for us to seek to fill his spot with anything other than him. You know, my dad loves to talk about this. He loves to talk about keeping God first in our lives. And in fact, almost every single time that I see him, he reminds me of where God belongs in my life. And not only does he remind me and talk about it, but he's a visual person. And so we'll be at a restaurant and he'll take a napkin and he'll draw a visual of where God belongs or he'll put it on a scrap piece of paper. And I secretly love it. And I love getting that, that, that talk whenever we go out for breakfast or whatever. But he always says this, that you must keep God as number one in your life. Everything else comes second. That means your family, your friends, entertainment, everything else. And if you mess that up, your life is going to be out of whack. And he's not wrong. And at the end of the day, the reason idolatry is such a problem in our lives is because God deserves the rightful place of being number one in our lives, but we don't often put him there. But here's the truth about the idols that we serve. They promise a lot and they offer a little. They will leave you constantly searching and wanting and coming back for more. And they cannot and will not give you the things that they promise. They creep into our lives easily, but getting rid of them is so difficult. And in order to recognize whether we've built an idol out of ourselves, entertainment, or anything else in our lives, we have to ask ourselves this question. If this area of my life were suddenly stripped away, would Jesus be enough? So if your job were suddenly stripped away, would Jesus still be enough? If you couldn't watch the Buckeyes play ever again, would Jesus still be enough? 
At the end of the day, we worship idols because we are not convinced that Jesus is truly enough. And that's the reason we struggle against them, because we're not convinced that Jesus will offer us the same level of gratification, fulfillment, or enjoyment that our idols offer to us. And so at the end of this wake-up call that Paul gives them, uh, the Athenians, he reminds them of their accountability, what what happens when they dishonor God. And he ends his wake-up call with a call to repentance. In verses 30 through 34, he says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So Paul told the Athenians at the end that because they didn't realize the sinfulness of idolatry, that God overlooked it. He wasn't going to hold it against them because they didn't know. But now that they know, now that they know idolatry is a problem and that it is sinful, they must repent. They cannot claim that they don't understand the severity of idol worship anymore. Then they cannot claim ignorance now that it's been pointed out to them. You know, Paul's wake-up call was not a soft, cushy message to the Athenians. He boldly confronted them on their idolatry and confronted them with the reality of the coming judgment by telling them to repent because now their ignorant worship of idols is culpable. You know, if you're sitting here like me and the Holy Spirit is convicting you and you're cringing in your seat realizing that you might have a few idols built up in your life, then you're not alone. I can't tell you how many times when I was writing this sermon this week that I was like, oh, I don't want to say that. Oh, I don't want to hear that Uh, because it's true. I have idols as well. But just like the Athenians, we have a decision to make on how we're going to respond. The easy thing for all of us to do would be to walk out these doors and forget what we talked about this morning. But I want to encourage you not to do that. My challenge to you this morning is to take this wake-up call from Acts 17 and evaluate the areas of your life that have become idols. Go through the different areas of your life and ask yourself if this area were suddenly taken away, would Jesus still be enough? And after you've asked yourself that question and applied it to various places in your life, I want you to think about those idols and potentially repent of them. Repent of the ways that you've allowed them to become number one instead of God. And scripture tells us that when we ask the Lord for forgiveness and when we repent, that he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all of our sins. And so repent Turn away from those idols, but remember that repentance means that you are literally turning away from them and turning towards God. So you cannot replace what was an idol with another idol. You have to replace it with the one true God. You know, Jesus loved us enough to die for us so that through him and because of him, we can worship the one true God who deserves the rightful spot in our lives. Our idols demand everything but give nothing in return. But Jesus gave everything for us. And so I believe as Christ followers, it's time for us to do the hard work of bringing our idols before God, laying them at the cross, repenting of them, but not only actively repenting of them, but actively working with God to keep them from being built back up in our lives and to keep him as number one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We are sorry, Lord, for the things that we have allowed to get in the way of our relationship with you. We are sorry for the idols that we have allowed to be built up in our lives, Lord, sometimes without even knowing it. God, I pray that this morning that you would point out those idols that we have, Lord, that you would bring them to attention, uh, that you would help us to uh, deal with them, Lord, to lay them at your feet and to turn from them and replace that spot that we're looking for and seeking you, Lord, um, replace that with you. God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for this wake-up call from Acts, and we ask that you would work with us in the coming week to identify our idols and to get rid of them. We love you, and we thank you for this time. Amen. Now, if you'll please stand and sing Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, hymn number two.
The fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. guys.